This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton, and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook, so if you're at all interested, please check them out. Right, okay, brilliant. Okay, everyone, we are joined today by Rosie Sexton. Uh, Rosie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, the very first thing that I'll say is I, I had no idea how to actually introduce you because you've literally done so much. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I was really excited to chat to you. So uh, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for coming on. Hi, it's good to, good to chat to you. It's, uh, thank you for inviting me. No, no problem at all. Uh, I know I've kind of been messaging you back and forth over over the last few weeks, but really chuffed that we could we could get get the time sorted. Okay, uh, I'll make an attempt at a, an introduction. And there's all the different things that you've done in your life. Uh, I want to touch on most of them if we can. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and the, my conversations always go off on tangents, so feel, feel free to to take this anywhere that, that, that you want. Uh, okay, so first thing I'll say is you, uh, you've got two degrees, one from Cambridge, mm -hmm. uh, you have a doctorate, you are now a politician, you were a mixed martial, art, mixed martial arts pioneer. Uh, the list just goes on. What an extraordinarily life you've, you've led so far. I think uh, I, ha I have a habit of, um, Sort of seeing something and thinking that looks like fun, and then before I know it, it turns into uh, it. It, um, it expands beyond the original scope, shall we say? I, I, I like to say that my, my mixed martial arts career with it was a self improvement project that got out of hand. Um, <laughs> that do you know? That's let, let's start there actually, because that's 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 so interesting. Uh, we can always double back to your education and, and where that's took you and what you've you've obviously learned from that. But how does someone with so much experience uh, in academia and studies end up taking this complete tangent to and being listen not just a mixed martial artist but a, a pioneer not just in British martial arts but for female martial, uh, mixed martial arts as well. How did that happen? So I first got interested in martial arts as a teenager and at the time I was interested in learning a bit of self-defense yeah. like a lot of people um it sort of went from one thing to another I did that for a few years then I went to university I broadened out I tried a few different martial arts and it got to this stage where I was thinking well I've spent a lot of time doing this but I don't know if this really works okay and that's very much been my approach to everything it's you know I want to know that what I'm doing works I want to test it for myself yeah. um and at the time mixed martial arts is a very new thing it was something that you know the there was the UFC in in America um a few people were starting to talk about this new sport yeah. and so I heard about this and I thought that's something I want to do um and it sort of developed from one thing to another really because from there I started looking for, for clubs that trained for that kind of competition um, I got involved in the in the grappling scene the Brazilian jiu-jitsu scene and um, eventually ended up fighting in professional mixed martial arts yeah. uh, and the the original plan was I was just going to have a few fights just to see what it was like to prove to myself that I could do it and then I was going to get on with the rest of my life but then somewhere along the way I got hooked on the sport and I wanted to see how good I could get at it. Yep, yep. Sure. Where, where can we take this? I started seeing, you know, some of the other um, female fighters. I, I watched, somebody gave me a DVD of uh, Hook and Shoot Revolution, which was the first all women's card in the US. Okay. And I was thinking, I want to fight them. Yeah. I, I want to do that. And that's where it sort of all developed from. So that took me all around the world. I fought for some of the big name promotions you know, sure. as Bodog, Bellator, Cage Warriors, uh, UFC um, and it 
it really was. It was a, it was a, it was a learning experience. I think I took a lot away from that that um, I sort of relate back to um, yeah. in in all other different walks of life. I mean, the most obvious one is I I work my, my day job. I'm an osteopath. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with a lot of sports people, a lot of combat sports, as you'd expect. Um, okay. A lot of people like coming to see me because they can explain exactly how their injury happened. And I'm not going to look at them like they're a bit weird. Um, so uh, but I also see a lot of people from other sports, you know, contact sports like rugby, you know, non-contact sports, um, the, ho- the whole range. And I find that that sort of experience as a professional athlete makes it much easier for me to relate to those people. Um, but then even when I'm working with people who don't have a sporting background and who maybe don't do a lot of physical activity at all, I think some of those principles still carry over yeah. and sort of being able to share some of that experience that I've had and some of my own experiences with injuries as well with, mm-hmm. with my patients, I find that really helps to build that sort of trust and that relationship. So I find that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's one way that, you know, I, I relate back to mixed martial arts all the time. Um, and then, I mean, obviously there's there's the, the politics, which is the other side, another side to, yep, to yep, what yep. I do, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, and I mean, again, it's I, I think that there's, there's lots of very interesting parallels there. And I think the more different things you do, the more you can draw parallels from one area to, to what you're doing somewhere else. And uh, that's, um, you know, you, you get that insight. Yeah, for sure. What, what you were at a stage uh, uh, doing a wee bit of research for the podcast today. I seen I was watching another. Uh, it was actually an interview that you done on uh, GMTV with Lorraine Kelly. Ah, that one. Yes, that, that's back a number of years. And yeah. You came in. So that, this question's maybe uh, with a couple of layers. Uh, Lorraine Kelly was was talking to you about cage fighting, and you mm-hmm. were very specific and passionate about taking it away from that and really describing it as mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. I think you you began competing or competed during a stage of mixed martial arts where it really did move from being known as cage fighting or it became much more professional. Yep. But you were also one of the first famous or accomplished females that were st- starting okay. during that time. Uh, so what was it like being uh, a female in that environment and what was it like really trying to push to make this something like it is today which is which is a huge worldwide respected sport on pay-per-view and etc etc what was that like so, yeah, I mean, it was a whole different world back then. You know, when, yeah. when I started competing um, back in the early two thousands, um, it was it, it. This was it, it was taking place. You know, in in um, sports halls and it's you know small um, clubs and things like that. It wasn't. Um, and if you, if you talk to most people about mixed martial arts, they'd look at you and, you know, they, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Yep. It'd be, it's, oh, cage fighting. And, you know, they might have heard about it in the tabloids or something like that. Um, but it was very much pigeonholed as being, you know, this barbaric, brutal sport, you know, it's talked about as no holds barred. And I did a lot of um, TV and radio interviews back in the day when, when people were asking about this. And I'd always have to explain, no, it's mixed martial arts. Yeah. not no holes barred we have rules there are rules there's a referee it's controlled you know there's medical checks um and getting the idea across that this was a sport like any other sport and mm-hmm. it wasn't about you know beating your opponent to, until they were uh, bloody and you know or anything like that it, it yeah, was yeah. um it, it it was a combat sport you know in the same way that you think like judo or wrestling or boxing um, all of those are combat sports yeah. and I was always very keen to to present it as as that um, I think it was always a difficult battle in those early days because um, I mean at the same time obviously you've got the the media and the tabloids and they like to have that angle of you know it's something a bit sensational um, but also some of the promotions I think were playing on that because it got attention yeah and you know if they if they made it out to be you know, this barbaric and brutal sport, people would look. Yeah. Um, and 
again, that, that was something that I was always very passionately um, against, really, is, was marketing it in that way. Because for me, it's, you know, it, I got involved because it was a way of, of testing myself and a, a way of testing my skills. And I wanted to compete. Um, and I think it's a sport that's got a lot to offer people. You know, I think in the same way, you know, there's a lot of people who who want to explore um the nature of of combat and conflict and physical conflict. Yeah. and i mean for me it's certainly given me a lot of confidence in my everyday life you know the, um, knowing that i'm able to do that has um, it's changed who i am as a person i don't think that's uh, that's an exaggeration to say that so i can certainly see what that at all different levels you know whether you're just competing as a club level amateur yep. you know through to international level professionals that has something to offer people so so for me I, I wanted to see the sport grow and develop and become mainstream mm -hmm. and I think watching it do that over a period of you know, 20 years that's been that's been quite satisfying and to know that I've been part of that as well yeah sure. you know, seeing it go from those levels I mean when I started competing there was no female mixed martial arts in this country yeah it, it was it, it just wasn't a thing and you know now we're we're living in a time when actually mixed martial arts is probably at a professional level one of the most equal sports for men and women mm -hmm. on the planet yeah yeah because when you think about it women yeah. comp compete on the same shows under the same rules mm -hmm. as the men yeah yeah and how many sports can we say that about not many, e e even almost even, none. I mean, even I with the amount of rounds yeah. that people, women, fight through now. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, women's boxing—they have different length rounds. Women's tennis—they play a different number of sets. Yep. You know, women's football—they have a whole different league. You know, it's on different shows. So when you think about it, I think for, for women to compete on the same platform, you know, you regularly get female fights headlining those UFC cards now. Yeah. Um, and with exactly the same rules. And that's something we fought hard for because I remember a time when, you know, they, they had women fighting three minute rounds um, back in Elite XC. Mm -hmm. and, and we always fought against that. I said, no, it's, it, should be, it should be the same. There's no reason to, for it to be any different. And I'm proud to have been part of that. You know, I was one of that yeah. um, group of women who, who made that happen and who, who made that an opportunity for the women coming through. Um, I think I'm, I'm so glad you said that uh, about having that pride and I think you get people look it's uh, it's taekwondo that myself and mm. my wife and I and we have a school that we run uh, which has all moved online for the last year or so yeah it's uh, been so difficult for schools I, I think it's yeah. been crazy uh, but we've kind of been involved in martial arts since we were five years of age for mm. What I'm trying to say here is, I remember when, I'll give you an example, and I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but uh, Ronda Rousey, for example, mm. really famous in the UFC, and a lot of the sort of armchair fans, were, and these are my words, not yours, uh, these armchair fans were really like, oh, what Ronda Rousey has done for women's mixed martial arts, etc. And I was thinking back to myself, as someone who's been involved in martial arts for my full life, Rosie Sexton fought Gina Carano, I don't know how many years before this, that's that hard work that you guys put in a decade before that, I think sometimes goes, it's not remembered as well or as fondly as it should be or with as much as, as much respect. I, th I think, I think it's been a process. And I mean, that process goes back, I think to, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of fans who've come to the sport relatively recently and you know that they might see back to Ronda Rousey or I mean even nowadays people are people are moving on you know it's it's um I always say that people have a short memory in 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 these sports you know when you look back to a lot of the the, the original pioneers you know people who I uh, I grew up watching if you like in the in the sport um a lot of the modern fans don't know who they are necessarily um but I mean, Ronda Rousey undoubtedly did a lot for women's mixed martial arts. And had she not been where she was when she was, 
it, I think it would have taken longer for women to be in the UFC, undoubtedly, mm-hmm. because she had that combination of skills, but also the the charisma and that personality, and she knew how to how to work the media. So I think absolutely give her credit where it's due. Um, I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of credit to go around. It's not something that any one person makes on their own. You know, it's a fight takes two people. Spot on, absolutely. Um, and you know, to to, to build a, a division takes many people. You know, that's it, it's not it's not all about one person. It's about you know the people who fought Ronda Rousey, the people who fought Gina Carano, the people who fought you know all of all of that generation. I yeah. think we we did it together, and it's not something that any one person on their own could have done. I mean, from my point of view, um, I. It's something, you know, I'll, I'll look back on wistfully now and then, but I don't want to spend my life living in the past and going, oh, oh why don't you remember me? Um, <laughs> it, it's it's very, <laughs> I, I've seen this happen with some sort of former fighters, you know, it's very easy to get trapped in that, you know, um, sort of bitter ex-fighter thing, of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what all these kids these days getting all this attention and, uh, you know, nobody remembers who I was when I, yeah. it's... <sighs> I mean, it's 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 the nature of things, you know. That's that's how history is. Um, we move on. We we focus on who's around at the time, um, and I think as well for me, you know, I've got lots of other things to go on and do. It was never the case that I was just a retired a fighter, and now I'm just a retired fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a that was a period of my life, and. Obviously, I did it to the the best of my ability and put everything into it while I was doing it. Yeah. Um, but that was only a period of my life, and that's something I always say to people who go into mixed martial arts now. It's um, you're going to be a retired fighter for longer than you're a fighter. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So always make sure you're thinking about, or you've given some thought to what you're going to do afterwards because that isn't all of your life. It can't be all of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think when I see people who it's maybe not worked out well for, a lot of the time that's because they've got trapped in that thing that becomes their identity. Yeah. And that's who I am. And I think when you were saying at the beginning about you don't know how to pigeonhole me because I've done so many different things, yeah. in a way that's been intentional because I don't like being pigeonholed. I don't want to be stuck in a box as, you know, that's who you are. And, yeah. you know, because that then becomes limiting. I think, you know, you can explore that box and, you know, to, to the best of your ability, but there comes a point where you have to say, well, actually, what else is there? What's outside of this? And for me, you know, that's how, um, that's how life stays interesting. You know, it's by yeah. ex- exploring different avenues and things. So, um, so yeah, I, I've rambled a bit there, but I think that's, you know, that's the way I look at it. That's my philosophy. Listen, this is all about ramblings. Uh, you've got so much experience to share. So uh, I've said this to other guests on the podcast. Please feel free to ramble for as long as you like. Uh, the, do you know, somebody else who popped into my head was uh, was Rich Franklin, who was one of the original sort of UFC middleweight champions. He was a maths teacher. Mm. If I remember right, just, just that was on the spot there, just thinking about that. He was a math teacher and... The public must have, there must have been a change when the public started thinking, if someone was interviewing you, for example, or watching your fights and they were reading a new, anywhere they could get information on you, they would say, hold on a minute, this girl's got two degrees, she's got this and that, oh, and then there's this guy, and listen, there'll be more examples than Rich Franklin, but he he popped into my head. This guy was a math teacher, so... Do you feel that that played a part in, did that message get out quick enough in that this is a sport, it's a professional sport, uh, as you mentioned before, with rules and proper etiquette and et cetera, et cetera, done not just by, uh, or it's done by people from all aspects of life, even highly, highly educated people. Was that, that message must have got through eventually? Yes, and... I mean, there was a there was a time when every time people wanted an example of somebody who wasn't a stereotypical fighter, you know, somebody who's you know big meathead with a shaved head and tattoos, 
Um, not that there's anything wrong with being a big meathead with shaved, shaved head and tattoos. I hasten to add, you know, some of my uh, best friends in the in the fight world would it absolutely fit that stereotype. But um, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it's. Uh, uh, but I think when when people wanted somebody to to counteract that stereotype, they'd give me a call and you know say, oh, can you go on this radio show and talk to? So I, I sort of got dragged out to to bust that stereotype if you like and I think that um I think it did I think that made a difference because sort of being able to say to people look this isn't just a sport for for guys who want to beat each other up yeah. because we've got that thing in our culture haven't we about you know male violence in particular yeah. and it for a long time, people were trying to portray mixed martial arts as, oh, it's just hooligans wanting to have a scrap. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the whole thing about it being in a cage and uh, it just played into that image. So I think sort of being able to go and explain, you know, what it was about the sport that attracted me and, you know, what was involved and all the, the technical elements of it. And that combined with the fact that I just didn't fit in that box in people's heads when they yeah. thought fighter, um, it made people sort of take a bit longer to look at it. Yeah. And I think when people look at something, they see past those initial prejudices yeah. and they can see, yeah, okay, there's a bit more going on. And it may be that, you know, mixed martial arts will never be the sport for them. I mean, I fully appreciate that it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. In the in the same way that you know there there are sports that I'll probably never particularly enjoy watching, mm -hmm. um, but I appreciate them for what they are, and I can appreciate the level of skill, and I can you know respect that that's something that that people are interested in, and I think that's all I ever asked for mixed martial arts. It's like you know you don't have to like it, you don't have to watch it, yeah. um, but just accept that it's something that uh, for a lot of people it's. Um, you know, it's something they want to do. And that doesn't mean that they're necessarily violent individuals in the sense of it, not people who'd go out and start fights or yeah. you know, um, cause trouble. But it's, for many people, it's a way of, I mean, it, it can be lots of different things to different people. If you interview fighters, you'll get so many different stories about why they're there and what got them into it and, you know, why they thought this was a good route to go down. I mean, you've got people who've come from um, relatively, should we say, rough backgrounds growing up where they were in a lot of trouble and maybe in trouble with police and things like that. And then they got into mixed martial arts and it sort of channeled their energy. Um, you've got people, and I mean, I suppose I put myself in that category who were almost sort of the opposite end of the scale if you like and were you know relatively lacking in confidence yep. and through martial arts developed that and uh, you know, learned to sort of I mean not only have the confidence that I can defend myself um, but more more widely than that that you know you, I can face up to some of those um, uh, some of those fears about conflict and about you know violence so i think there's you know there, there are as many different stories out there as there are fighters yeah and i think the the interesting thing is you know um actually listening to those stories and hearing those experiences and i think once people get past that initial sort of idea of that sort of one-dimensional stereotype it becomes much more interesting. Yeah. It, one of the things that most people, and as I say, we we have uh, young students from five years of age uh, all the way through to the pensioners that train with us, which is a fantastic thing in, its, mm. in itself. Uh, and con confidence is, is, is one of the main reasons why people go to any type of martial arts. Mm. Uh, now, there's a difference but between joining a local Taekwondo school to try and build... Uh, confidence and prove to yourself uh, just what you can what you can do. That's on one level, and then there's someone like you who says, "Well, I want to prove this, and I'm going to go all the way to the UFC and prove it." That's a that's a huge big a huge big jump. Uh, how did your confidence? Where was it? And this is maybe of interest for people that might listen to this and think, "Do you know, I'm quite an academic person, and I've never." experienced, I've never even thought about this. How did your confidence sort of 
jumping in chunks from first walking into a martial arts gym to being, I've said this to a couple of people this week, were you the first British female to ever fight in the UFC? Yes. That, right, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that I had that, that right. I'm, I'm glad we, we, we checked that. So from being someone who just walked into a martial arts gym to try this new mixed martial arts thing, to being the first female in the UFC, how did you feel that your confidence grew throughout the years, helped by martial arts? So I think the thing is, is with so many journeys, it's I didn't set out to be the first British woman in the UFC. You know, I, I, I didn't set out on that journey with, with that in mind. And if you'd said that that's where I was going to end up, I would have been, um, I mean, I'd, I'd have laughed at you. As, uh, you know, when I first got involved in mixed martial arts, I think my first Taekwondo instructor when I was a teenager, um, I found out years later that he described me as a, a sweet, innocent girl who couldn't punch her way out of a wet paper bag. Um, okay. And... I think it it, it it was one of those things where my confidence grew very slowly in small steps, bit yeah. by bit, but I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and it just sort of got, went from one thing to something else to something else. Yeah. And over time, you look back and you think, oh, I've come, come quite a long way. Sure, um, yeah. But it was always just looking for, okay, well, where's the next thing? And you look at that thing that's in front of you, um, not the, you know, not where you're going to be in 10 years time or 20 years time. It's, you know, well, what am I doing now? And doing that thing to the best of your ability. I think those are sort of small steps and small targets. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I when I started out, you know, I, I was um, I was wasn't by any stretch a, nat a natural it was something that I always had to, to work really hard at. Um, and then I, you know, I, I did a few different martial arts. So by the time I found mixed martial arts and I got involved in grappling, I'd been doing it for a little while. So I had a bit of background. So I knew how my body worked and that gave me a bit of an advantage. Um, and obviously at the time it was a very young sport and nobody really knew what they were doing. We, everyone was winging it back then. Um, and it was sort of trying to put these different pieces together and figure out how, how this should go. Um, and like I say, it just grew from one thing to another. You know, I was originally just going to have a few fights and just to show myself I could do it. But then, you know, I won a few fights and, okay, okay well, I want to do some more. You know, yeah, I, want, yeah. I want to challenge myself. Um, and I think, you know, I look back now and I think, wow, that was crazy. Um, how did that happen? Um, <laughs> and it's, I, th I think, I mean, that, that's just kind of been how I do things. You know, I, I, I pick a, a target and I go for it and then I go for the next one and then I go for the next one. Um, and it's, I think it's having the, um, almost the naivety to say yes to things. Right. Okay. And yeah. then the stubbornness to follow through. Yeah. Um, so interesting when you said there about, the, the confidence coming in, in sort of stages, uh, just one step and then the next step. Uh, I, I've been really blessed and, and obviously yourself included in this category. Uh, the amount of wonderful people that we've had on the, the podcast already, just with it being at such an early stage. And I want people to listen, uh, maybe particularly younger people. And, and I think a lot of people look at someone like you, so... Here's this professional mixed martial arts fighter, first woman in the UFC, have achieved, she's achieved all of this stuff. And they maybe don't relate to that because they think you were always confident. You were always super skilled. You, you were always like that. Absolutely not, no. Exactly. I, I, mean, yeah. I was, um, I was a, a real nerdy kid when I was at school. I was, I was a kid, you know, with um, huge social anxiety. Um, I had my head stuck in a, a book most of the time um didn't I, I really really struggle to relate to people um I still feel like coming out now sometimes I still have to you know it's um it's something that I don't necessarily find easy all the time um so I think it's these are all things that you know I've uh, I've built over time and if I look back to the the kid I was then mm -hmm. I think 
I mean, even now, I most of the time I don't feel particularly confident. Okay. Right. I think confidence for me is not a function of um, sort of who you are or what you've done. It's uh, for me, I, I I deal with that by having a focus on a particular task, and it's like that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then it's about you know what do I need in order to do that and you're going away and getting that preparation and and building the skills you need in order to do that um but still if you ask me you know are you a confident person probably not you know I have huge imposter syndrome a lot of the time um <laughs> I, I look at myself and I think you know um I, I find it quite strange actually you know when people tell me that they how they see me because mm-hmm. it's not how I feel from the inside. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, I think what I've learned over the years is not to worry about that too much. Okay, yep, yep. And, you know, it's like, well, whether I feel confident or I don't feel confident, actually, it doesn't really matter because you're going to do it anyway. So you just do it as well as you can. Um, and That's a brilliant message. That, that that's, that's the message that we're, I think we're all trying to, 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 to get to. Uh, or it's the point we're all trying to get to. There's, I think it's really refreshing, and I think it's 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 invaluable to have someone like yourself. Uh, that, that sort of Gina Carano connection. One of the first people I had on uh, was uh, Kevin Ross was on, and he spoke about this at length actually about younger people, especially looking and saying, "Well, that guy's not scared. That guy's got lots of confidence." That guy's this superstar kickboxing fighter. No, he's not. He's the same as you and I. He has the yeah. same fears and the same lack of confidence, but he does it anyway. And yeah. we're all capable of doing it anyway, if we can. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I think, I mean, if you look at people, fighters and think that, you know, oh, they're not scared. I tell you something, every fighter is scared going into a fight. I know that for sure. To some, to some degree, they might they might call it something different. You know, we, um, you learn to sort of reframe that, and instead of saying, you know, I'm scared, it's like it's that adrenaline, is that. Feeling. But it's the same feeling. It's mm-hmm. it's the exact same feeling, um, and I think what you learn is how to deal with that, mm-hmm. and how to go in and do it anyway, and not to let that stop you. And I think that's one of the big things that I've learned from from mixed martial arts is to you know, say, right, I don't really want to do this. It's, uh, you know, I'm a bit anxious about it. It's, you know, but I'm going to go and do it anyway. And I think, I mean, I, I get that a lot in politics these days. You know, yeah. I, again, you know, maybe we'll come on to that in a sec. But, yes, um, yeah. You know, th- there's, there's times when it's like, you know, I really don't want to go into that meeting and say that because um, it's not going to go well. Um, but, you know, you have to. And it's like, OK, um, and just sort of taking that deep breath and going right i'm gonna do it we're gonna do it let's see what happens um and that's something i mean again when i'm when i'm working with patients in clinic and i'm we're we're talking about rehab and it's like how you get them from being injured to back to doing their sport when you're building that confidence again it's in those very small stages you know at no point you're not saying to them well i just want you to think confidently and you'll be fine it's, you, you've got to have that, you know, proven success at each stage. And you, you in, instead of thinking about the big picture, it's thinking about, OK, you know, going and playing rugby or you know, having your MMA fight. You think, OK, well, what's the next thing? You know, and maybe that's a question of uh, let's let's figure out how to get you upstairs. Yes. Yep. You know, and and then once we've done that, then we can, you know, OK, let's let's get you running. Let's get you do it. And one thing at a time and looking at that thing in front of you and then building that yeah. there. So I think, yeah, that sort of breaking things down into into small manageable chunks that you can you can fit in your head is it is really helpful. It's the way forward for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. But I think, I mean, the, the message I, I would give to my younger self is well, if you don't feel confident, don't let that worry you because lots of people don't feel confident. Um, feeling confident is not a prerequisite. You know, you just have to be determined to get on and do it anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I can't even remember how my wife and I got into this conversation just yesterday and we were talking about, uh, I, can't, I can't even remember how we, we but I'd said to her, 
anyone, you are probably a wee bit better than what you think, and everyone else isn't as, they're probably a wee bit less uh, skillful or whatever than, than yeah. what you think. And we always place ourselves in the wrong place sometimes. Well, we, we see our own insecurities mm -hmm. and we don't always see other people's, I yeah. think. Because a lot of people, we get used to hiding those because there's that perception that, oh, people might see it as a weakness. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I, th I, I don't, I don't think that's a good thing because I, I, I like the message that actually we're, we're all pretty much the same in that regard. You know, we all have our insecurities. We all have things we're anxious about. I mean, there, there's some people who don't. Um, some of us feel that more or less. I think, you know, I'm, I'm quite an anxious person by nature. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that needs to be a drop. You know, that, that doesn't need to hold you back. Yeah. I think, I mean, the flip side of being an anxious person is that I prepare well yep, you know you because yep, yep. Uh, I, I worry about things and I worry about things that could go wrong so what I've learned um, and I spent quite a lot of time working with a sports psychologist over the years mm -hmm. and you know I think one of the useful things is okay well actually that foresight is useful mm -hmm. but it's only useful if you take it and you do something with it yeah. it's not useful if you just sit there and mull over it and uh, um, yeah, let it let it worry you um it's about saying right well what am i worried might happen and what can i do about that you know yeah. practically how how do i prevent that from happening um and i think again you know when you're training for a fight for example you know thinking about okay well i'm worried about this happening how can i avoid that you know i'm worried about gassing in the second round mm -hmm. okay well i need to work on my cardio um even that simple it's it's um, so I think with the, as, as with all of these things, you know, it can be it can be a weakness or it can be a strength, depending on how, what you make of it. Um, I think there are people, there are fighters who are definitely massively overconfident. Yeah. And actually, that very often you know, works against them because they don't prepare the way they should. Um, and people who you know take just assume that they're going to be able to go in there and. Um, do what they want and then when they can't it's a it's a shock to the system yeah. uh, whereas i think for people who've always had to work hard and for people who've, who've never found it easy um that doesn't come as a shock you know it's like okay well it's hard work yeah i've, yeah. I've done that before what, what one one more uh but definitely i want to talk to you about your new political career as well mm. uh, another level of, of, of the interest that I had in you. But uh, one question that, that that I want to ask about, so you you studied uh, mathematics at Cambridge, is that, that's right, right. That analytical or mathematical mind, how did that roll into your fighting mind? How did martial arts and particularly mixed martial arts as it, as it became, did you approach your, your fighting career or your mixed martial arts career with the same mindset as you approached your studies and where you found interest in that, that area? I think in the sense that it's all about problem solving. Okay. It's, you start with this, in maths, you, you start with this, this problem or this question that you're trying to solve and you might have no idea how to go about that. And, you know, you'd start by sort of playing around with it and, you know, playing around with a few examples and you might tinker around the edges a little bit and just to get a feel for what's going on. And and then sort of as you, over time, you you build up your ideas about how this works um, and eventually you end up with uh, a, a, a solution that you can walk through step by step. And I think... You, the same thing applies to problem solving in so many other areas or the same basic process applies of you know taking this this big problem that you've no idea how to solve it's sort of way out there and and breaking it down into small manageable chunks that you can get your head around um and and then sort of building on that and i think you know when i started mixed martial arts as i said it was back in the days when nobody really knew um much about the sport it was it was still a work in progress you know when i when i got involved 
it was still the case that you know if you had a bit of boxing and a bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu yep, yep. um that was it that was you're a professional mixed martial arts fighter yeah. and this whole idea that there might be a bit in the middle you know where um one meets the other um yep, yep. yeah we didn't worry about that um and then you know over time uh the sport developed and it evolved and you see fights coming in and the wrestlers started coming in and doing very well mm-hmm. and then everyone started trying to copy what they were doing and yeah. and, and so on and so on and I mean you've seen that you can see the same evolution in in lots of things I mean I've watched the same thing in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu things go through cycles and you know there will be an um an in-game you know that people are oh everyone's playing that at the moment yeah. um and I think, um, again, the, the, that's how people sort of go about solving these big problems. You know, the whole the, the, the problem of, of physical com- combat. Um, yeah. it's, it's always been quite a, a, a very technical thing. I mean, this, again, this whole idea that, um, you know, fighting is just about... Uh, meatheads kicking lumps out of each other um it's it's always been so much more than that um and one of the reasons i fell in love with grappling is because it's so intensely technical yeah yeah it's one of the most technical sports in the world um is yeah when you all of the positions that you can get into you know with you and your opponent and all of the things you can do from each of those positions and and how it all fits together um and then you know when you're talking about mixed martial arts you've got how the different ranges fit slot together so you've got your know, striking range kicking range uh, punching range yep. grappling range um and then going from one to the other and um like i said that there is just so much to it and i think that's one of the things that appealed to me was that sort of level of technique and that level of depth mm-hmm. to it. so i think you know, had it been, I've actually got quite a low boredom threshold. You know, I get, I get bored with things quite quickly and had it been less involved and less technical, I think I'd sort of have moved on from that relatively quickly. You know, I'd have, yeah. okay, you know, I've done that now. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, you can always, ha- even if you win a fight, you go away and you think I could have done that better. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. Yeah. There's always, you know, and everybody has their own individual style and that style poses a particular set of challenges that you then have to go away and study and break down and it's so yeah it 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 was the the depth as well as the sort of the um i mean when you th- think of the the challenges involved in in being mixed martial artists people think about oh you know it's about overcoming fear or it's about being you know tough or strong but you've also got this intense intellectual challenge as well yeah. and I think it was the combination of that that made it really compelling. Wonderful that's that's kind of what I was thinking that that would have drawn you to that was that having to break things down and work them out and and analyze them and then come up with an answer. Uh, right okay so you what year did you finish competing in Rosie? 2014 was my last fight. Right, so 2014, um, and we're now seven years later, and yeah. you have you're a member of the Green Party. Yes, local councillor for the Green Party, yeah. and you finished second in the leadership, the whole yeah, I did. leadership yeah. uh, contest just last year. So, how does and it's the same question from how does a a a, a maths graduate transition from that to mixed martial arts. How does a professional world standard level mixed martial artist progress to politics? How did how did that journey? Yeah, I mean, I again, I look back and I thought, how did that happen? Um, because I mean, I, I remember a while back, um, somebody saying to me, you know, if somebody somebody wrote your character in a a screenplay or something it would get thrown out for being no 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 you'd never have somebody yeah. like that um, <laughs> so it um but i think again it's something that you know i i 
I mean, I'm what 43, 43, I think. Yeah, um, 44 this year. Um, and that's a long time when you think about it. You know, that that's enough time to fit lots of things into it. You know, when you think you these days, you've got 20 year olds who are, um, you know, fighting at world class level, for example. Yeah. You know, um, so in that time, if you concentrate on something for a period of, you know, maybe five, 10 years, you can get quite a long way in that one thing. And then if you put a few of those things together, you know, but, and I think that's, that's all it's been. It's not in a case of, at, at no point did I set out to do all of these different things. It was just, you know, things sort of came to me. And that was very much the case with the politics because I, I mean, I joined the Green Party back in 2015, but I never really meant, you know, I, I, I was interested in politics, but I never really meant to get involved. Um, and then one of our local councillors came around and introduced themselves and said hello. And, um, and one thing led to another. And, you know, a few years later, when they were looking for some target candidates mm-hmm. for some of the local elections, they said, yep. well, would you consider standing? And I mean, initially, my reaction was no way. I'm way too busy. God, I, I'm not a politician. Um, and then, you know, I sort of thought about it and I maybe let myself get talked into it. <laughs> and, and here we are. Um, and and that sort of, you know, opened up a whole avenue with, with the local politics and being involved. And again, it's sort of seeing a whole side to things and how these work that I'd, I'd never really investigated or knew much about um and again i just got fascinated with it it's like i I never knew all this was here um (laughs) and i think that's the thing with you know there are so many things like that in in life you know if you once you start getting into something and digging into it you realize that there's a lot of depth here you know there's a lot going on um why why the green party what was your attraction to the green party I mean, I first joined the Green Party because I think I was increasingly disillusioned with the with the larger parties, um, and both it, it was it was the uh, you know the social issues around austerity and um, public services and you know the fact that um, uh, that was something that you know certainly the the government didn't particularly have it seemed to have a have have answers to um i mean i when i was growing up my my parents were involved with the with the lib dems and i uh, i suppose i i was sort of that was my my leaning until the coalition happened yeah. Back in 2010 to 2015, and then after that, but also, I mean, the other reason, the and the, the big reason for me for joining the Green Party is because it's sort of this growing realization that actually we do have a major problem. You know, we've um, we've got a, a climate crisis going on, and if we humanity doesn't deal with that, then very soon, not many of these other things aren't going to matter that much. Yeah. Um, so. I think it was that realization that this is a much bigger problem than anyone is giving it credit for. And I think people have woken up to that a lot, actually, over the last few years. There's a lot more talk about that now than there there has been. So I think it's people are starting to um, to see that. And I think, again, the Green Party have been ahead of the curve with that because they've been saying this for years is that, you know, we need to deal with this. but at the same time, you know, we need to deal with this in the context of all of these other social issues that we've got going on. So it's not a question of, you know, oh, you know, we just need to, uh, <coughs> you know, the, it, it, recycle our plastic bags and, you know, and, and use reusable light bulbs and everything will be fine. Um, no, it's it, it, actually we need to, it, it's a systems problem. You know, we need to look at how things on a, on a much larger scale and again it sort of grew from you know wanting to you know, in my day job I help people on an individual level mm-hmm. you know and I can work with those individuals but then people start coming in and some of the problems they're having are to do with you know they can't get to see their doctor or they're having problems with um you know health, their health because of where yeah. issues 
job or because of other issues they've got going on. And then you start thinking, actually, there's something much bigger here, you know, and these are things that I can't necessarily help with on an individual level. Yeah. So that's where I think for me, the nat natural step was to say, well, actually, okay, what can I do to address some of those larger scale problems? Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, for me, I'm just a local councillor, you know, we, we still look at things on a relatively local level. Um, but again, it's sort of saying, well, how can I make things better on a community level? Um, and I th again, it's, um, it's that combination of sort of being able to help other people and sort of think, how can we, um, how can you give people those, those opportunities to um to fulfill their potential yeah, yeah. i think so. yeah one of the one of the big concerns uh, and again talking about the environment is 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 one of these overarching things one, mm -hmm. one of my main concerns at the minute is is this sort of tribal mm. environment that we have at the moment mm -hmm. uh, I'll use Donald Trump as an example. So I, th I think most people would agree that that wasn't the last four years of Donald Trump's presidency uh, or the only four years uh, where weren't exactly ideal, okay? Yeah. Right? So I'm willing to say, however, that if Donald Trump's done something well, I'm willing to say he done that well. And mm -hmm. if someone from, uh, let's look at our own political uh, landscape, if someone from the Labour Party done something well, or the Conservative Party, or the Greens, or whoever, yeah. I'm happy to say, generally, I don't agree with you, but that's a good job done, right? Yeah. We have yeah. this environment at the minute where it's all over this side, and I can't agree with this side at all. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Even the I environment goes pear-shaped. Yeah. None of that matters. Yeah. None of that matters at yeah. all. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there are a lot of challenges at the moment. I think some of this is to do with um, the the way things have changed very rapidly um, in the last ten or twenty years with the development of the internet and social media, and how people relate to each other. You know, when you think about it, you know, we're living in a pandemic, and you know, we're talking on Zoom now. And even 10 years ago, you know, th that would have been, things would have been very different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the way that we relate to each other has gone through a very rapid series of changes. And in some ways that's been good and it's led to lots of new opportunities. In some ways, we're still playing catch up because mm -hmm. human nature doesn't change that quickly. Yeah. I think we're still the same basic animals that we were, you know, probably 10,000 years ago. Um, and, you know, our basic nature mm -hmm. hasn't changed. Our, our society has changed massively and mm -hmm. that's affected, you know, how, what we learn and how we grow up and, you know, a lot of things about our culture. Um, but I think that sort of tribalism and that sort of need to belong to a team yeah. and to um, to defend our team against the the other side, if you like, yeah. um, I think that's actually something that's quite innate. You know, the, I think that's quite instinctive. Um, and what we're seeing now, is, especially with with social media and things, is people sort of forming those groups and those you know um those tribes and you're absolutely right that i think that leads to a lot of unnecessary conflict i mean like i say sometimes conflict is necessary yeah, yeah for sure to, you know you don't want to shy away from it when it's it when it's something that's important um but i think also some of these things could be dealt with much better if we could get people you know to to sit down and talk about it rationally yeah. but a lot of the time i mean human beings we're not we're not that rational we're not very good at being rational <laughs> um we t we're, we're influenced by all manner of cognitive biases and i i don't exclude myself though you know I, yeah, that's yeah. I, that's all of us without exception yeah. um i think all what 
we can do is try to be a bit more aware of our cognitive biases and to be aware when we're doing these things um, and sort of to pull ourselves up on it a little bit sometimes. Um, but we all have them. And I, I think um, that's something that, you know, figuring out how how things are going to work going forwards and how we can make that better and how we can develop ways of communicating and collaborating and you know even sort of doing democracy differently mm -hmm. um that's really important and i think i mean again that's one of the things i like about the green party is because we're not wedded to the status quo yeah. um you know we're, we're all about sort of actually we need to find new ways of doing things and sometimes that might be sort of looking at old ways of doing things but sometimes it's also you know looking at the, the new possibilities that technology gives us yeah for, you know and and how we can make those work for us rather than against us um so i think that's that's something that i think and again when you when you talk to sort of younger people these days that's something that you know i hate this because i i feel like i'm i remember when i was young and i'd look at people who are around the age that i am now and you'd think oh you're so set in your ways and you're so <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I worry that I'm I'm becoming that now, and you look at young people who are adapting much more quickly to to all the change and things that are going on. And but that absolutely is the future. You know, I think it's um, uh, it's exciting because we are seeing those new ideas, new developments, um, and we need to we need to figure out how how we're going to make that work for us. And it's it, it, it's a wild ride at the moment. You know, it's very much a question of uh you know hold on tight because uh yeah if, if we if we don't stay ahead of this and if we don't stay or if we don't manage to to get control of what's going on then it controls us for sure i think we're i think we're actually a wee bit worse off i think we're a wee bit worse off than even that you suggested i think I think we're actually playing catch up. I think we have to go back and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I, I would agree. I think I think it's well, as I say, you know, all of these things, changes have happened very quickly, yeah. and we're seeing the fallout from that now. And it's a question of well, what can we do to? We need to have the ability, and a lot of time I speak to people, and I, I, I don't think they, or maybe I'm, I, I. I'm seeing it too negatively, but I, I don't think we even have the ability to have good conversations about politics nowadays. In fact, I don't think we have the ability to have good conversations about most things nowadays, which is really, that scares me. That really does frighten me. Uh, so we, we have to be in a position where, as I said at the beginning of this wee sort of section, that I might not agree with you or the next person or the next person about most things but if you'd say to me something that's absolutely correct or makes sense I, I really have to be the bigger person here and be able to say you're right and it's as simple yeah. it's really as simple as that yeah and it's not about it shouldn't be about the personalities it should be about the ideas I, I completely agree um I think in terms of conversations about politics it's difficult isn't it because most of us have our conversations about politics on social media and we're sort of yeah. we're removed from the other person, you know, we're behind a screen. And it's very easy to say things there that you probably wouldn't say, or you'd say differently if you're saying it to somebody's face. You know, you might say the, the content might be the same, but the tone would be different, or you know, there'd be body language, or you you'd because you've got that human connection. And that's something that I think we don't necessarily have online. Um yeah. And that's that's a real problem because I think that does drive that polarization because it's very easy when you don't have to relate to somebody face to face um, to say things in a way that's you know quite harsh or even rude um, <laughs> and then people react to that and re you know they're reacting to the conflict not necessarily the idea um, so I think you know taking a step back from that I mean what what I think we're we're learning and how we're going to make this work, I don't know, but um, is that if that face-to-face -face element is really important. 
you know, and I think, I mean, to some extent we can do this on Zoom. So, you know, we're talking, yep, yep, yep. we can see each other. And there's that, we've got, there's some body language. It's not the same as being in a room with somebody, but it's, you can see that. Um, but then if you, if you take that sort of one step further back and, you know, when you're typing in text and you've got somebody who's on replying on Facebook, um, I mean, we've all had that experience where you'll be having a row with somebody on Facebook and then you speak to them in person and they're lovely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Too often. Like, you know, I think, but it's so easy for those mis, um, misunderstandings and miscommunications to build up. Um, and I think some of it is realising that actually our human brains are built for that person to person interaction. Yeah. And we need to build that into what we're doing because we react differently to people as people yeah. compared to, you know, and I think, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of problems with how our political system works as well. And, you know, I could do, we could do a whole separate podcast on that. <laughs> and I think, you know, some of it is about having, it's about designing systems that work with the way our brains like to work rather than against them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that sort of large scale system change is something that, I mean, none of the major parties are talking about at the moment. And part of the reason is because if you have success in the system as it is, why would you want to change it? Of course. Uh, yeah. Get, uh, and also, I mean, it's even less cynically than that. You know, people just get sort of trapped in that status quo. It's like this is the way we've always experienced it. So it's the way it will always be. Yeah. Um, but you don't sort of necessarily think outside that box. And as a relative newcomer to this, you know, I suppose it's perhaps easier for me to say well, why are we doing it this way yeah why why don't we do things differently and maybe think, that's what we need maybe we need more fresh ideas like people from yourself uh, more fresh people more that that your eyes are looking at this for the first time and seeing this is wrong or this is right or i think i mean we absolutely need more people coming into politics from outside politics because yeah. You need people with experiences from all different walks of life. And, you know, I mean, I've got a very different set of experiences from most career politicians yeah. or from most people for that matter. Um, but uh, I think there's, um, you know, that, that whole idea that a lot of the people who are running the country actually had a very similar career path. You know, they went to private school, they went to Oxbridge, they, you know, yeah. and then they ended up, you know, as a, working in for, for a politician and then yeah, yeah, sure. becoming a politician yeah. and you know I think we, we need that wealth of experiences outside of that mm -hmm. um, but at the moment our system doesn't um, doesn't select for that it doesn't reward you know people sort of going through those, those other more diverse paths so I think that's something that you know would be would be really good um, I think also, I mean, the thing to remember is that we're in the middle of a crisis at the moment, but crises bring change. Mm -hmm. And that's not always good change. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, hey, everything's great because it clearly isn't. Um, but one of the things I think we will see come out of it is it shakes things up. Yeah. When sh things are shaken up, it becomes possible to see other alternatives that you might not have seen before. Mm -hmm. like for example, we're seeing changes to... I mean, how how council meetings take place, for example, because they've all moved online. Yeah. And I mean, I hate that. You know, I, I'd much rather be in a room with people. Yeah. Um, but it's one example of how things can be done differently. And it, that brings up a whole wealth of other possibilities as well, because, you know, then people who maybe wouldn't ordinarily come to a council meeting might tune in and watch that yeah. online. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it things change. And I think, you know, that's where you start to see the opportunity to do things differently and i think at the moment it's i mean it's both a frustrating and quite an exciting time to be in politics because we are starting to see you know how things could be different mm -hmm. and there's a there's a lot of uh, things fighting against that you know there's a lot of vested interest and status quo um but at the same time you know the if there aren't people there who are pushing for it to be done differently, then that'll never happen. So, so yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, Brilliant. Uh, one last wee thing, just before uh, I know the time's getting on. Uh, one last wee thing 
for being someone so analytical, you have said a number of times already about how your life has progressed that it kind of just happened. Uh, and then you thought, how did I get here? Uh, so <laughs> where, where, where's, where is Rosie Sexton going to be in, in, a, in 10 years time? What's your, what, what, unless something comes along that you just kind of roll with again, What's your, your ambition for I, I've, I've learned not to make predictions. <laughs> That's fair enough. I think when it, comes to, when it comes to life, you know, there's so many unpredictable things that can happen. Um, I think there, there are things that we can predict quite well. You know, there are things that we can anticipate. And there are things that, you know, uh, events... Will have to, I mean, who would have seen us, you know, being in the middle of a pandemic at the moment you know who would have predicted where we were going to be right now you know you couldn't and I think that's the thing with life you you can have you can have goals and you can have things that you'd like to aim for but I think you can't plan your life out in lots in depth of I mean I used to I used to worry I remember when I was growing up and I used to worry because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was grown up I didn't know what I wanted to be yeah um I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm figuring it out bit by bit. Um, <laughs> and I'm like I say, I'm, I'm sure there are several more changes still to come. And, you know, I've, I've probably got a whole other areas that I've got no idea about at the moment. But um, I mean, at the moment, as I say, I've, I'm, I'm pretty busy with what I'm doing. I'm running my clinic. I'm um, in, I, enjoy, I really enjoy working one-on-one with people and, um, you know, getting people out of pain is an incredibly rewarding thing and getting them back to doing the sports and the activities they love. That's something that, um, you know, that gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, the, the politics, again, is, I'm, I'm finding that far more rewarding than I ever thought I would. Um, frustrating in many ways. It's, it drives me up the wall. You know, several times a week I go, oh, I'm going to quit. Um, <laughs> And then I don't, I carry on, um, but that's normal too. Um, that's, you know, that, that's just how these things go. Um, so yeah, where I take it, I don't know. I mean, I, I might, I could see myself getting more into the politics. Um, I could, you know, there, I mean, as I say, I'm, I'm in the wrong party really to become prime minister. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, as I say, I mean, when I, when I started, competing in mixed martial arts they always said that women were never going to fight in the in in the ufc mm. i remember dana white saying that very clearly he said women will never fight in the ufc yeah i remember it yeah um, and then i was the first british woman to fight in the ufc so times change um so who knows but i mean certainly the way things look at the moment you know i think um if, if i had political ambition you know if, if if i was a career politician i wouldn't be where i am now but as I say, where I am now feels like somewhere I can do some good, which is what I'm, I'm focused on. Um, but yeah, who knows where that will take me? Or, you know, I might find myself doing something else entirely, but uh, but we will see. Well, listen, Rosie, uh, whatever you do, I wish you all the luck in the world. Uh, it's been a real treat chatting with you. We've went, we've went over the hour now, so we have, uh, which is perfectly fine. As I say, I love just letting people go and... and, and Get as much sort of information and conversation as we can. So, listen, Rosie, thank you Brilliant. so it's much. Been, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. And all Fantastic. the best moving forward. All right. Thank you, Rosie. Take thank care. Thank you very much. Thank you Take so care. much. Bye bye now. Bye bye.